0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to NextCast. My name is Samar and I will be co-hosting today's session with my dearest friend, Ronald Netabo. In today's episode, we have with us Major General Neeraj Pali. Sir is an Indian Army veteran and an experienced corporate professional. He has served in the Indian Army for more than four decades, after which he has played a significant role in the education sector. He is currently serving as the CEO of Lead Space Advisors, a consultancy which he founded in 2020. Moreover, sir is an excellent motivational speaker and life coach. So if you are listening to today's podcast, you're going back with a lot of life lessons and a zeal of energy. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much. My pleasure.
0: Great. So uh, so as your title say, Major General Neeraj Bali, uh, our first introduction and our first everything is how did you join the army? You know, most of the time when someone's joined the army, there's a very strong motivation behind it. Sometimes their parents are in the army or sometimes the surrounding where they live. How did you find your motivation to join the army? And when you joined the army, how were the initial days and how did you, you know, promote yourself to the extreme level of being a major general?
1: Well, Samarth, uh, life, it turns out is never linear. You may set out on a journey in one direction and then find yourself branching out into something completely different. I was uh, a medical student in the school with all the ambitions to become a doctor but i was also in the ncc and one of the days my ncc teacher pointed out to me that i might do very well if i joined the nda and i want to confess that i did not know the full form of nda that day so when i asked him what it is he said oh it's a very nice hostel where they make officers never has a greater lie been told because national defense academy is not nice and not a hostel, it's a i'm of course being funny it's a concentration camp well nobody in my entire family had ever been in the armed forces my father had no clue when he signed the form as to what he was setting me up for and i came from a punjabi medium school i'd never spoken one single sentence of english the day i went for my interview everything was stacked against me But uh, like I said, life has a funny way of turning out differently. And uh, I went in, I qualified, I joined the National Defense Academy, I went through three three harrowing years for a civilian and one more year in the Indian Military Academy. But uh, once I joined the army, uh, quite clearly, I couldn't have done anything better than that. And that journey, which started in the January of 1975, Finally ended in April of 2016. If you do that math, it's 41 years uh, and four months. So a very exciting journey. A wonderful, wonderful thing to do. It's a cliche when people say, oh, in my next life, I'm I'm again going to be the same. But for me, it's not a cliche. It's a fact. Uh, It could not have been better. So that was my beginning in the army
0: right in the end uh, like in the five years you served as a major general before that uh, what were some of the significant roles you picked up in the army and uh, what what was that time when you came to know that okay i'm being promoted to being a
1: major general well uh, it, it sounds impressive this whole business of becoming a general but maybe that's not the most exciting part of having been in the army the excitement started right from day one when as a second lieutenant i joined the north district of india now we call it arunachal pradesh those days we called it nifa and uh, i had to go out on a patrol to thick jungles with my with 10 jawans now as a 20 year old you still think you're a kid but the army teaches you very quickly that you're not a child i had 10 people responsible i was responsible for 10 people we went on a Into jungles and into mountains where nobody had gone earlier. And as a result, for four days, we were completely lost to the rest of the world. And when we came out on the other side, I had 200 leech marks on my body. Leech is a little thing which sticks to you and sucks your blood, and you really can't peel it off. And uh, I had 200 of these marks when I ended up on the other side. So, very quickly, life teaches you that you may think you're a child in your own mind. And I dare say some of you may think like that even today. But the world doesn't think so. The world looks at you as an adult. So excitement really started from there. And then I kept getting promoted as a captain and a major and a left and colonel and as a colonel. The second bit that I can really highlight is the time when I commanded an anti-terrorist battalion in JNK for three years, that battalion did extremely well in terms of number of militants killed, uh, the lack of our own casualties, how we were still popular with the local population. So those uh, three years plus were again the highlight of my life. Uh, you know, there is a misnomer that people in the army are not scared. The fact of the matter is that everybody is scared. Everyone's scared. It's a question of how you manage that fear and how you continue to be brave in difficult circumstances. So when I was going to Kashmir, I was asking myself the questions. Do you have it in you? You're going to be commanding a thousand people in battle. Now is the time we'll find out whether the boy who started out as a DV School Sector 8 Chandigarh student has it in him to command a thousand people in battle. It's an exi- very exciting exploration of yourself. You come to know who you are. You know there are a lot of things about say you and Ronald and Urja and others who are on the podcast today. You will never discover unless you are thrown into the deep end. It's only when you face the danger, you realize what you have in you. Uh, otherwise, everybody looks good on a day like this. That was that. And then, of course, I went on to serve in Africa. I'll probably talk about it later. Uh, the other wonderful thing that happened in the army is when I joined, I was I'd just qualified in class 11. That was my qualification. And something that most of the world doesn't know The Army gives you fabulous opportunities to study. In fact, they make you study, which is a lot of disappointment for some people who join Army to avoid studies. So I became a graduate. I became an MSc. I became an MPhil. I was sent for a study program to US. And I've done a bunch of other courses from a bunch of places that I, I can talk about it all day. So that was the other experience. The third part was... I taught in the Infantry School, in the Army War College, in the Defense Services Staff College. And that is again a very unique experience to be able to pass on your experience to others. So really speaking, you know, if you were to tell me to put my hand on one thing in the Army, which I did, which was great, I wouldn't be able to. Uh, it's a bouquet of things. It's a whole uh, rainbow of colors, with so many things in it that I can't even, even count. Uh, Becoming a Major General, well that's uh, good too, feels nice uh, to be responsible for a very large area, but uh, there are many many times in life within the army which are arguably more exciting than that. Uh,
2: So that was amazing to hear all the stories that you just said. Uh, The next question revolves around the intersection of politics and international relations. Uh, so, So since you have been an advisor to the government of Lesotho. Uh, how did you assist the government and how did you manage it? Uh, could you share what work you did and what lessons you drew out along with being in the
1: Indian Army? Right, so I led a small team into that country. Lesotho is a tiny country in the middle of South Africa. So it's a country surrounded by a country and uh, it has no, no borders with the sea. Uh, there is an interesting history to why we were there. Back in early 2000, the government of Lesotho felt that every now and then the army would do a coup and overthrow the you know, the elected government. So then someone appears to have advised them that look, wherever there is Indian army in Africa, the coup never happens. So starting with 2001, they requested for a team of Indian army officers and men, a very small team, uh, barely 14, 15 people. And the head of the team used to be a brigadier who's, who had two jobs to advise the Prime Minister of Lesotho on matters of security. And secondly, to head the Indian Army training team to train the Lesotho Defense Forces. I was the fourth such brigadier posted there. I had three successors. And we had a fantastic time because it's a country of wonderful human beings very open to learning Uh, and what i discovered is now there has been no coup since the time indian army went there so that was a great change and why did it happen there is a great lesson for all of you in that the lesson is not that the indian army was commanding their troops no we were just 14 of us in fact at one time we were only six people there but we taught the Lesotho defense forces the same discipline training and culture as exists in the indian army if you go to the Lesotho defense force they have the exact same drills as we have because we've taught them and when you teach people this kind of thing when you teach them a culture automatically their mindset changes they start behaving themselves in a different way Uh, i have a funny anecdote you know after i came back from Lesotho, many years later i was a major general and i was visiting national defense academy and uh, the commandant told me that there is a keret from Lesotho. So I said, Why didn't you call him? And don't tell him who I am. I just want to meet him. So this young boy from Lesotho walked in, saluted, and I immediately broke into his language, which I knew. So I said, Dumala indare, opela juang means, How are you, my dear sir? He was taken aback for a minute. And then you know what he said to me? He said, Jayan So <laughs> this is how steep people become in each other's culture and way of. So it was a fantastic time. Uh, Great learning for me that even a poor country with almost 25% HIV AIDS incidents in that nation, you can still be a very happy people. It's amazing when you go there to see that everybody seems to be laughing and joking and being decent. People allow each other right away on the, on the roadside we have a lot to learn from such people you know Uh, i will end this by telling you a little anecdote that you might probably be aware of so i would drive my car many times from Lesotho to Johannesburg in south africa it is about i think about 800 kilometers and uh, you're zipping along at 120 kilometers an hour every single vehicle that you pass or if a vehicle passes you it blinks its rear lights to say thank you and you are supposed to blink your headlight to say you are welcome this happens with every single vehicle for 800 kilometers the first time i saw i said how amazing is that how amazing is this beautiful culture of civility and here we are relatively a very rich country with great civilization but we what we do on the roads is uh, well sheer murder so was my experience from Lesotho.
2: That was a very intriguing story indeed, sir. An unknown story of such a beautiful relation between India and Lesotho. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Uh, so, sir, after a glorious service of over four decades in the Indian Army, uh, how tough was it for you to leave the Army? And when you decided to retire, what were your plans after you were leaving?
1: I had a single point goal that I'm never going to retire. Uh, I may leave the army, but I used to always say retired, but not tired. So I had been working in that direction from the day I was, when my retirement was approaching. I retired on the 30th of April, 2016. And on 1st of May, the next morning, I was already CEO of a rural education society, running 92 schools and colleges with 42,000 children. And if you look up the calendar, I think 1st of April is a Sunday. Uh, 1st of May is a Sunday. It's also Maharashtra Day. It's also Labor Day. So the chairman of the new place where I was joining said, do you really want to join on a Sunday? I said, yes, because they don't want to break in service. I just want to continue working. So uh, that was an amazing uh, experience. I have never had a day's difficulty uh, with the fact that I've left the army because It's all a question of your mindset. If you carry the baggage of wherever you're coming from, then I'm afraid you're going to run into difficulties. But for me, I discarded that baggage. I threw my rear view mirror out, not to look back, and I absolutely became one of the people I was now leading and now working with. And uh, after that experience, I was CEO for more than two years of our engineering company running 75 mega projects like dams and bridges and roads, highways, tunnels, uh, smart cities, railways, power, okay, in India and Myanmar. And I don't have a day's engineering background. As a matter of fact, when I was offered the job, I warned the management that the only engineering experience I have is that as a cadet, I was asked to dig a trench trench. Uh, and that trench also didn't come out well so they said no 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 it's all about leadership so that was my second experience and then of course i started to i started my own uh, little outfit in 2020. there is there has been absolutely no difficulty it's not as if i have discarded the army i as you can make out from my talk i love the army i am who i am because of the army i wouldn't be anything without it but uh, in life the only time you can live is now you can't live in the past and if you try to live in the future you'll only have it'll only happen when the future has already become now so rather than dreaming and hoping and planning and wishing uh, or thinking about the past you just give meaning to whatever you do today and that's what i've been doing
0: It's really amazing. And I I connected to myself because I'm leaving my school and going to the college and we all are being so emotional of leaving the school. And that's why the question was so intriguing that when you left the army, which was there with you for 40 years, we have been in our school for like almost eight to nine years. So that would be very emotional. But when you say that we should look uh, forward, we should, you know, you just plugged out your rear view camera, your rear view mirror and move forward. I think that is what we all should have. Uh, you have also served for a long time as a motivational coach. So what are some of the uh, eminent people you have worked with? I know you have worked with many uh, companies, I've worked with many CEOs, Cyrus Mistry is one of them. Uh, what what are some of the anecdotes you want to share when you worked with these people? And what are some lessons you learned from
1: these great industrialists industrial or leaders? Uh, look, let me clarify, I haven't worked with Mr. Cyrus Mistry, Cyrus Mistry was present uh, we spoke on the same platform so that's why there's a picture of him and me i had addressed the tata's uh, tata sons cxo summit and he was also one of the speakers so i spoke there so i have had the good of good fortune of uh, working with a lot of people some prominent some uh, absolutely like you and me uh, which is more interesting actually because uh, so what are my lessons from these things my first lesson which will also be a recommendation is this a lot of people believe that life is not should not be difficult they feel somehow their life should become better and easier now this thought itself is half the problem life is always going to be difficult There is always going to be challenge. There is no such thing as curing life. I mean, you can look at billions of people who have said, I will change my life from the 1st of January. I will become a different person from 1st of March this Monday onwards. I'm going to get hold of my diet and I'll start exercising 10 o'clock tomorrow morning onwards, I will read a new book. It doesn't work like that. So life is a continuous challenge. What you should remember is. Life cannot be cured. It can be managed. You've got to manage it. This is a battle you've got to fight every day. And that's the good news. You don't have to say, Oh, I've sorted out everything. Now everything is going to be good. It's not going to be. So a lot of people believe and they mourn and they cry and they cry and say, Well, I have news for you. Your problems are not unique. Everybody has problems and a lot of happy looking people have serious, serious problems you really talk to them. Your problems are not unique. You're not alone. You can always reach out and speak and talk and find solutions to your difficulties and your challenges. What is the key then? What is the key if you have to solve your life's problems? The key is this. I would say that there are two types of mindsets when it comes to challenges. First mindset is All my problems are because of others. My parents, my girlfriend, my friends, the weather. Everything seems to be a problem. Those people are in the deepest of troubles. Because imagine if the solution of your problems lies with the world, then unless the whole world changes, you have no hope in hell. The second type, which is the winning type, says i muffed up i screwed up i should have done better i should have studied harder i should i shouldn't have slept that day i shouldn't have overslept i damn sat and watched youtube five hours in a row what's wrong with me or i should have let go at first beer okay those people blame themselves they take responsibility taking responsibility and accountability is the key to the first step of wisdom and first step to changing your life, because unless you own it, how the hell are you going to change it? Who's the driver? Who's who's the hero of your story? Who's writing the story of your life? Somebody's writing that script, and the good news is you can be the writer and the director and the actor and all of that. But if you let your parents or your teachers or your I mean, if you keep blaming the rest of the world, then it's like writing, letting Karan Johor write the story of your life. It's not going to come out well, I assure you. Or as should I should have said, uh, Night Shyamalan writing horror story, which might turn out to be your life. So that would turn out well. That that's, that's truly
0: amazing. You know, these two mindsets, that one's that your problems are because of someone else and taking the accountability. So uh, when you started your consultancy and when you decided that, okay, I have to now work for myself, I have to start my own thing. What were the challenges you faced? Uh, because... When, when anyone starts anything, there's a lot of criticism. And I'm sure even if you have been a major general, you have had been a uh, at a very de- reputable force for years, you would have faced a little bit of criticism from a family or someone. How did you handle that? And when you started your consultancy, what were some uh, initial projects uh, you did?
1: Okay, you're very right. Whether you're a major general or a field marshal or anybody, if you're married, be ready for some criticism. But that apart, but that apart, uh, look, let me tackle this question in a slightly different way. Let me turn it around and say, what should somebody wants to start out? What should we look out for? What are the danger signs? All right. Because becoming an entrepreneur or starting something new has a huge lot of challenges. You have to start wearing about eight or nine hats straight away. You are the content creator. You are the salesperson. You are the business development guy. You are the account keeper. You are the marketer. You are the, you everybody, right? You can't say, oh, I don't like this because that's what it is. But that is the simple part. If you are starting out on a journey, the first question to ask yourself is who, is my customer it doesn't matter what bright idea neeraj bali has got i may be very excited about my idea but is there somewhere someone outside out there who wants to buy it or am i just excited okay not to be excited about ideas is not a bad thing that's how you start learning But you'll meet many people who say, Oh, I'm going to do this. You know, one day you wait and see, I've got this brilliant idea and this is going to make me, you know, rich. The first thing is without dampening your spirit is to ask yourself, what do my people want? What do my customer base want? What is it that they're needing? What are their pain points? What problem am I going to solve by peddling this project or this product? Secondly, they are in a crowded space in india everybody has already got all the ideas okay so if you are coming out with an idea chances are it's not going to be something completely brand new therefore how is why should somebody be buying your product how is it better than the other product i'll give you the example of wonderful girls who started out an amazing bakery in kalyan and they sell uh, they call fit bites and they sell very nice cookies. Now they, t- they spoke to me and said, uh, they sell on Amazon and they sell on some other platforms and they wanted it to the sales to go up. So I asked them the same question. Why should somebody buy from you? That is the question you should ask. Where, where is your advantage? Is it a better looking thing? Is it a better cost effective thing? So as a startup, this is the first thing you should ask no point just thinking, you know, whatever I make, people are going to buy. So my advice to them was if you are making 50% profit, drop it to 10% and have the biggest cost advantage in the world. And straight away, people will say, this product is very inexpensive. Let me give it a shot. Let me try it. So, so that's the next thing. The next piece of advice I will give is when you are starting out, you are blessed with energy you want to do everything okay you are willing to sleep on a platform go in a third class and train to sell things you you will do anything but what you got to watch out is a thing called costs everything costs money and a lot of startups fail because they do get a bunch of money from somewhere and then they start spending it on things like and i will just cite two things human resource and real estate. These two things are the biggest drain on any new venture. Real estate means you, you've got a fancy shop or a fancy place where you're paying rent. And that is why if you start a business, which is mostly online, you will have a great advantage like Flipkart. Okay. Nothing to hold. So these are some of the, uh, some of the things that I picked up along the line. Uh, for example in my case i do leadership training for corporates so my question is there are a diamond dozen guys doing the same training what is different about me what is different about me is this i completely leverage the best framework from the army and the armed forces and because i also have a corporate background i teach what is relevant to the corporate from the armed forces that's number one. Number two, there is not even five percent theory in my in what I teach. It's all going to be practical. There are going to be no gains as many of the trainers do. I go by I have created some thinking exercises, real life exercise exercises. I'm just giving you this as an example, not to sell my business. That you have to be something different. You can't have a product which others are already selling. And hope for success. So this is some of the things that I would I wanted to share. That's true. Uh, in fact, what I wanted to
0: uh, ask nest was uh, related to how you integrate your army experience in the corporate sector. Because uh, a few days back we had a podcast session with a U.S. Army veteran. And that was, was relatively very young. Uh, he only worked in the army for US Army for two to three years, and he was in the Navy. But he gave a very key piece of advice that when you work in the Army, you get humility in yourself. So when your boss shouts on you, or anyone shouts on you, anyone gives you a training, and you don't take it personally, okay? After that training is over, you're still a family or a friend. So that was one key piece of advice which we took over from his podcast. What, when you train people and when you're running your own consultancy, how do you integrate your army experience and the best practices of army
1: in your current? I want people who are listening to take away three things, three key things, because of course I can talk about probably 50 things, but let's focus on what's really, really important. The first thing that happens in the army, which is so applicable to everything in life, is that you lead by example people do what they see you doing people don't do what you tell them you know by words so no matter what you do an army officer will not wear a bulletproof jacket if his men are also not wearing bulletproof jackets when an army special train goes for an exercise where there are thousand jawans and all the vehicles and everything the officers mess people do not eat food in the train till food has been served to jawans right whatever you do you lead by example when you read these stories in the newspaper about kashmir don't you always see a headline that says one officer one jawan killed or one officer two jawans injured have you wondered that if the ratio of officers and jawans is one is to hundred? Why is there always one officer in that mix? It is because that Joso is leading from the front. He's leading by example, and that is the reason why the Jawans follow you. That is why they are willing to follow you on the slopes of Kargil and die. Right? It doesn't happen because you give a speech. Or you talk well. Right? Uh, uh, you know. Vikram Batra who celebrated for Kargil, who famously said Dil maange more, how did he die? He had already attacked one night and the second night when they were attacking, second day when they were attacking, one of the Jawans got shot. And Vikram was behind a boulder and he told his Subhidhar sahab, he said, let's both go and drag this boy out and save him. So the Subhidhar said, I think he's already dead. So Vikram said, we cannot take this, we can't assume this and bullets were flying. So Vikram told the Subedar. he said, you're married. I'm not even married, so my life is less important. I'll go first, and then you follow me. And that's why he got shot. So walk the talk. Even when you are a parent, beyond a certain point, the child is not going to listen to you if you're doing something different and saying something different. Okay. So if your kids are not going to listen, why will somebody listen to you on a basketball court or as a monitor of the class, or in life when you're running a company. That's my first thing. The second point that you should understand is, what is your true role? What is my true role today when I'm speaking here? I can say my true role is to speak or answer someone's questions. Or my true role in my mind could be, I'm going to pass on life's lessons to people. So if somebody picks up even 5%, they become better human beings. Similarly, what is your true role in life? Don't make that role a small, limited one. Oh, I'm going to work and get rich. That's not a great role. What are you going to do for the company? How are you contributing to this for the success of whoever you work with? And that is something in the army people understand extremely well. Uh, I'll give you a little story and um, so we had gone out for a for an operation in jnk and we had been out for more than a day and when we came back the uh, the, the company commander who's a major told me he said sir we've been you've been out with us uh, the headquarters is still about an hour away why don't you have dinner with us in our company and then you go i said okay but before having dinner we said Let's go and check what the Jawans are eating. So when we went to the Langar, now the Langar has a Langar commander who's, who's a Jawan. He's a, you know, he's a sepoy or a last night. And I found the food was all right, but it wasn't great. So I asked him, I said, Veda, why didn't you get something nice made like chicken? He said, there was no chicken available today. I said, how about eggs? He said, there were no eggs available. So I said, all right. M- thousand bucks he will take ten boys he'll go to the nearest village pick up all the eggs and make one dish so that the men can have a nice food. Next morning I met the same boy again and I asked him, what is your role as a luur commander he said, my role is to get food made. So I said, is it okay whether the food is good or bad or hygienic or unhygienic?" he said no 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 sir my role is to make good food made. I said, well, know we, we are improving. So I said, but why should you worry about good food? So just said, boy, your pay is not going to increase. He said, no, sir, if I make, if you make good food, if we make tasty food, then the jawan's morale goes up. I said, but why the hell are you worried about jawan's morale? That's not going to give you a bonus. He said, no, sir, he looked surprised. He said, no, sir, if you make good food and jawan's morale goes up, they'll go out and they'll kill terrorists. I said, that is your true role." As a langar commander, your role is to assist everybody in killing terrorists. Your role is not making chapatis. When you think about life like this, suddenly you realize that you're supposed to do big things. All right? You're not here to do small things. And uh, so these are a couple of things that I think are uh, important, which work out in all areas of life. There are many more things, but I think we'll take away these two
2: lessons uh, for the time being. Uh, Thank you so much, sir. Those were some golden words of advice. Uh, And as you said about uh, looking at some of the life situations from different perceptions, and if you do so, you will, uh, at the end of the day, end at a great place. So thank you so much for sharing those stories with us. Uh, So since I myself am a student of theoretical astrophysics, and I'm passionate about politics and philosophy, I read about a lot of hypothetical scenarios. Uh, and the one question that I wonder a lot about is a world where there would be no countries, continents uh, and as such boundaries and consequently no defense groups. So, as you, since you are an army veteran or with the experience of over uh, four decades, did this thought ever cross your mind and uh, if yes, could you walk us through, through it?
1: Well, uh, a world where there are no countries, no boundaries, no borders, Uh, surely would appear as a wonderful and idealistic thought. Uh, One does hear about it every now and then, but of course this thought, if I was to say that I have given it some deep thought, that would be incorrect. Having said that, if the central goal of all of this is to have less wars, less fights, let me tell you something. The people who are most interested in peace are soldiers. All right, because our lives literally depend on it. We are the last guys who want there to be a war. The rest of the world creates situations where you are pushed into it. Uh, Noble and wonderful as that idea is, Ronald. I suspect that we are nowhere near close to that. On the contrary, over the last few years, we have become even more narrow-minded. More walls have come up. Uh, globalization is teetering in the world because suddenly the Western world has decided, has has discovered that they are the ones who created globalization, but it is the smaller countries and countries who play by different rules who are actually benefiting. The China, the China, the India, the Vietnam, the Bangladesh, Cambodia, those are the countries which are actually beating the stuffings out of US by, by a separate set of rules. So suddenly everybody's walls are going up. So everybody's saying, you know, Brexit or America first or, you know, so on and so forth. So I don't think we are anywhere close to that. I think what we can best wish and pray is that we as a people within the country should at least drop the walls, drop the divides. Uh, One of the things I admire about Chinese is that when you are looking at any Chinese, you are looking at a Chinese. You're not looking at a Brahmin or a this or a that or a you know upper caste or a low It's crazy. I don't know whether you've read in the newspaper today that wonderful girl who scored goals for us in, uh, in Olympics. People burst crackers near her house when they lost because they said, how could a girl who's not upper caste be part of Indian team? And that girl, Kataria, has said today, that you know how crazy is that we should be one people instead of uh, you know fighting about these things so we are just weakening ourselves doing this so i know this is not the direct answer to your question but all i'm saying is let's make a start here and uh in this regard let's learn from the army i mean how wonderful it is that people from all over the country live absolutely wonderfully well do you know that in the army after 1984 or so, there have been no temples or churches. Everything is called Sarav Dharamsthal. You have a temple and a church and a mosque and a Gurdwara in the same building. Alright? If you are an infantry officer, you follow the rituals of the religion of your troops. So if you are a Malayali officer in a Sikh regiment, during all functions you wear pagli and you go to the Gurdwara sir you're a muslim officer in a hindu battalion you would probably will attend temple and nobody minds these things nobody talks about this it just happens okay so i think uh, it's a wonderfully wise thought but let's start applying it at our level and then maybe someday you know like ripples in this pond grow outwards and maybe it'll happen in the other countries too
2: thank you so much sir and as you said about the thing that uh, though one, the one group of people who want the war the least are the soldiers. I remember a quote by an anonymous author who said that uh, the first casualty of war is innocence and that that that's so true. So, uh, sir, uh, I have a next question, which is a part which is uh, different from the uh, from your army experience. So uh, and it's about the impending posterity of India. So, uh, as India right now is at the door of this novel startup culture with hundreds of startups being launched every week and month, uh, and since you have had the experience of working with so many startups and small to medium-sized businesses, what would be your piece of advice to an entrepreneur just starting out, uh, and be it specifically an Indian?
1: Well, I, I did. I actually did cover that, and I did mention that in uh, when I spoke at length about uh, finding out who your audience is, who your customer is of controlling your costs and so on. Maybe I can add a couple of things more to that. But before I say that, I must say that you and I are living in a wonderful time in our history. And I will just tell you why I say so. My generation has been greatly blessed because A, when I started out as a child, we were importing food in India. Okay, we had a program called PL 480. We used to improve, import food grains. We were in awe of the white man. We were in awe of all Western culture, right? We were not confident. But today at the space where we are, it's India is a hugely confident country. We are not going to buckle down in front of any enemy or against any challenge because we have become a far better, richer country with a huge human capital. The second part is all my life when I grew up, there was this uh, doing anything was great inconvenience. But after internet came in, and particularly in the last five or seven years, when India has turned digital, I mean, you guys are too young to realize what a difference it is in our lives. That you are able to do just about anything sitting in your own house, using a mobile app, Everybody is able to connect with everyone else and do things very easily. All right? uh, Two months ago, I lost my dad and uh, I was thinking about it and saying, if that had happened 15, 20 years ago, I would have been just running from one office to the other obtaining certificates. It didn't happen like that this time. Everything was done smoothly. It was all digital. So, you know, we have come to a very great place as a country. And of course, we have miles to go. There is no doubt about that coming back to the advice i would give i will say two or three things in addition to what i said so what did i say earlier i said first thing is find out what do people want before you decide what you want to sell and why should they buy it from you what advantage do you have and the second thing i i, I said is watch out for your costs your human resource as well as your real estate the third thing is if you are entering a space where there are established players Right. For example, if you're going to make cookies. Now, if you follow the same pricing pattern, packaging and distribution as say glucose biscuits, you're going to lose. When you fight a stronger force as a startup, you must devise your own paradigm, your own methodology, your own way of selling. Because if you follow the tactics of the stronger guy, he's going to beat you. You, you won't last. okay. So, and this is true for every walk of life. Have you seen how hard it is to beat, uh, to completely eliminate terrorism? You know why? Because they're following different rules. They're not dressing up like the army. You can't see them in a camp. They don't have a vehicle. They're sitting among the civilians. It's so hard even to find out where they are. The tactics are different. So, the startup tactics have got to be different. Do not just copy somebody else. The fourth point that I'm going to say is probably something that you guys may find a little odd. I think startup must not overly rely on social media. There is this great obsession today that if you can somehow put out something on Instagram, a couple of reels, you know, a, a fancy little YouTube video, maybe a Facebook page. but Everybody's doing that. Everybody's doing that already. Everyone is, we are flush with all that. So do have a place on social media, maybe open an Instagram, Twitter, whatever account, but don't rely on that as your primary way of reaching out because it may or may not work, all right? Unless you have something very unique to present and unique to to offer. Uh, This is not to say that I'm running on social media. I've wasted more time on social media than all you guys put together. So I know uh, what value it has. The last thing I would say is focus on the culture of your startup. You are starting out with two guys, you really require very little culture. Everybody's going to work hard. But as you grow, start working on the culture. Culture is like having good habits, right? Make sure people follow a certain set of rules, which as you grow and become bigger, you are going to need processes. Otherwise, you'll not be able to control your business you can't do ad hocism. So work on your culture as a startup. And uh, this is something I work with many companies. So I know it's an extremely, extremely important part. Incidentally, I'm also writing a book on organizational culture uh, with Pan McMillan. So this is my, uh, my advice for a startup. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. Sir. That was very insightful. Uh, and as you said, you're writing a book, I'm pretty sure you have read a lot of books, uh, while your time at army, after your time at army, and uh, uh, everyone, every leader reads a lot of books. Play for our audience. What will be your top three or five picks, uh, which can change a man's life, or which can you know give him a good lesson?
1: Extremely hard question, but I will answer it. The first book I ever read, the first English book I ever read, outside of the school, was on 13th of July, 1972, when I was 14 years of age. It was called An Ace Up My Sleeve by James Hadley Chase. And after that I was a voracious reader. I would just read anywhere and even spend my pocket money to borrow books. Now, so when I went for my interview for the army, as I said to you, i had never spoken in English and, uh, but inside my head, I knew a lot of good English. It was just a shyness because I never had the company to speak. And that is how I started succeeding from there. In fact, the interviewing officer was very surprised. He said, you don't speak English in school. Your parents don't speak English. How are you speaking this English? So I said, Today's the first day? He said, I can make that out because you're speaking perfectly, grammatically correct English. How did you do this? So I said, I read some books. He said, how many books? I said, 74. And he looked surprised and he says, in two years, how do you know they're 74? I said, because I keep a diary. He said, what two books have you brought here? I gave him the names and that was the beginning of my getting selected. Nothing in my life has made a better difference than reading books. Okay. Nothing trumps it, not internet, not watching television. When you're watching television, you're a passive learner. Something is coming at you. You, you might even look away and still it's fine. But to make sense of a book, you have to be totally engaged. Books expand your mind. to start learning and understanding more and more. Okay? You may not remember every book you've read, but somewhere it has changed you. Now, my advisor, books. Uh, this is a question that has completely taken me by surprise, but I will answer it. The book I would recommend the most is called "The Road Less Traveled" by uh, Robert M. The like, Road Less Travel is a book about discipline, love and spirituality. Okay, It's a remarkable book, simply written, simple to understand and has the power to change your life. The next book I would recommend is A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Now this book is hard to read. It's about understanding yourself. Understanding your ego. Okay, maybe Ronald isn't interested in philosophy, so you might find it interesting to read. It's again a book that can completely change your life. If you want to start out at really basic level, then pick up Dale Carnegie. Now, how to win friends and influence people, how to stop worrying and start living, stuff like that. Sounds simple, it has remarkable lessons. And once you learn those lessons, you are always going to benefit. When I read Dale Carnegie back in, I think in 1975 probably. So after that, I just put it away. But I still remember some lessons, like the most important word to a man is his name, or a woman is his name. So if you remember people's names, it makes a great impression. Okay. When you want to change somebody, when you want to point out somebody's faults, start by pointing out your own. Stuff like that. Okay. So it'd be a great, uh, great thing to read. Um, There are several other books. There is a writer by the name of Dr. Phil, Phil McGraw. He has written books like Life Strategies, which is again a great book to read because he's a, He's a straight shooter. He tells you like it is. Uh, I, I can probably suggest you another 2,000 books, but that'll take a long time. Uh, so, I have, so what I do is I read a book, and then I make a short summary. I have a short summary of every book I've read on my Dropbox. Every now and then, I open it and read it. It reminds me of what I read. There's a lot of wisdom in a lot of books. There is a book called What They Don't Teach You at the Howard Business School. It's a very practical book about life again. You could read that. That book will give you a lot of lessons. A recent book I read was 10% happiness. It's about increasing 10% happiness in your life uh, by doing some very simple things. It's written by a man who had a complete black blackout while he was on the national television. And he realized he was under so much stress. So he went on, read this book, a fantastic book about life is also a man's search. A man's search for meaning is written by someone who was in a concentration camp. He went through hell. When you read that book, you realize how much torture a man can go through, but he survived. And when he came out, he said, we ask this question. What is the meaning of my life? What is the meaning of my life? It's a same question. Life is never going to answer that question. You have to give meaning to whatever life you have. You have to do things in a meaningful way. Today, I'm trying to give meaning to what is happening right now. Okay. So you can't keep crying and moaning and what is the meaning of my life? well there is no such thing as life sitting outside to answer that question so that's a that's a good book to read there are many 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 books i mean there is the world is full of wonderful books but whatever you read even if you don't like to read serious stuff my recommendation would be read it doesn't matter what you read once you start reading then keep slowly upping your game and go from a simple book to a slightly more complex book to non-fiction to spirituality, to thinking, you know, so on and so forth. Uh,
0: those are some really good books and I am I myself made note of it, so I'm going to read all of them later and I'm pretty sure each and every one will. So, last thing I would ask you, the end of the podcast is, you worked a lot in your life, in army, in corporate sector. How do you manage your work and life? The work-life balance, which everyone, every CEO, everyone is living around everyone wants a work-life balance even some of the richest the most famous ceos in the deathbed say that i must have worked a little less and lived my life a little more uh, how
1: have you worked
0: also to the most optimum level and at the same time lived
1: your life at the most okay so there are some great lessons that the army teaches you about work-life balance which i'm going to come to i'm i'm, I'm actually happy you asked me this question because only today I was driving down with my younger boy. Uh, we have, he's a good, great sounding board for me. And he was talking about exactly this. He works for Deloitte and about work-life balance. So here it is. First of all, all of us assume that we have plenty of time and someday we are going to be happy. Someday we will do the things we want to do. I have a little sobering news for you. That someday is not coming suddenly you'll be 30 40 50 or 63 years old like i am today okay and life will just pass you by so if you're thinking that someday you're going to climb the Himalayas, or someday you're going to go to mauritius or someday whatever i'm sorry but i think the only day you can live is now so when you start thinking like that, ask yourself, what is it that you're seeking in life? What will make you happy? If you think what will make you happy is uh, is earning whatever some fancy figure every month, then there are too many miserable people out there earning that money. And with complete breakdown in relationships in their own homes, no time for anything else, having heart attacks, you know all sorts of stuff. This is a good question to ask yourself when you're young. What is it that I'm really looking for? Am I only looking for money? Am I only wanting success in office? When you go to work go to earn money so that you can lead a life. Don't make that work your life. It's a, it's a methodology for your ability to lead your life. But We make that as a life. So what happens is we go to work, we are we get on top of a roller coaster and that roller coaster goes on and on and on and you know how it is on a roller coaster it's exciting it's adrenaline pumping but it gives you no view of life you are just getting a blur it's only when you get off the roller coaster you realize oh lord there is life there are people i was supposed to be doing something else so take a conscious decision that while you will focus on work, you will work hard, you will succeed, but there is going to be me time every day, every week, which I am. I mean, let's take a leaf out of the Western uh, world book. When it comes to a weekend, you can't catch them. They're going to do exactly what they want to do. When I was attending the study program in Hawaii, uh, in the morning I used to walk down to the college where we were studying, and the professors, have come in the morning jogged on the beach would be doing yoga on the road and then they would go inside take a shower have a quick breakfast and start teaching and then they, when there was a lunch break they would first go to the beach to play beach volleyball come back take a shower have a grab a quick lunch and start teaching okay because for them life is not just teaching there were other things to be done so take a conscious decision is my first piece of advice the second piece of advice is Live in the now. It is is—it's a cliche thing. A lot of people say live in now. You know, there's only time. But please make the now valuable. Stop fretting over what is gone. And stop this business of always dreaming about what might happen. Okay. Because uh, dreams and intentions are not a plan. They're just fuzzy dreams and intentions. Plan is when you do something about it now the third and the last thing how did the army teach me this the army has one great uh, attribute the army focuses a lot on social life the army focuses a lot on social life and social life in the army unlike in the corporate sector is family to family interaction we become family members Okay. People have served with 30 years ago. I know them. I know their children. The children know us. The children know my children. We are all a family. And as a result, you have a rich social life every evening. I suspect some of the people sitting here or listening later are going to be 4G kids and they will be able to identify with this or what I'm saying. I mean, I'm seeing Urja smiling, uh, quite widely. So probably I don't know whether she's an army kid, but that's what it is. You have to have a great social life. Come evening, you must do other things. Come Sunday, you must do other things and build a network of friends. Build a network of friends. They enrich your life. Your family of course is there, but build a network of friends. So in the army, you build. Now in 2018, December, I dramatically fell ill with a disease that kills 95% people. It's called septicemia, the poisoning of the blood nobody knew how i fell ill and within four days i was on the verge of dying so when i was taken to the hospital they said he's got probably a couple of hours to live and then for 28 days i was on life support on dialysis and i continued staying in hospital for a long time with six tubes running out of my body they had to cut open my heart to remove some i went through a lot during this period while i was not conscious my wife told me that almost 35 to 40 people came to visit from outside the town. People flew from Leh, people flew with their families from Hyderabad and just came and told my wife, tell him once he comes back, tell him we came. Okay. And we are praying. Now, this is what is known as a social life. This is called social fabric. It didn't happen because I was a great guy. It happened because this is what the army does So develop authentic friendships develop a great social life work hard then definitely definitely
0: play hard that is my advice thank you so much sir the whole podcast has been very rejuvenating and i'm so thankful you made time for us i hope you had a great time here at nextcast I
1: Had a wonderful time thank you very much good to see fresh young aspiring, uh, smiling faces i just want to tell you one thing that when i was your age and uh, somebody like me came to speak, uh, two things would happen. One is I would wonder how long will this guy speak? And uh, so so usually I just waited for the person to finish the talk. But the second thing that happened is, the speaker would sometimes say, you guys are young and you can literally achieve anything in life. Let me tell you looking back at my life and other people's life, They were right. At the age where you guys are, you literally can achieve anything. Okay? You just have to play this right. You can achieve anything. And that's how it goes. So, believe in that dictum as we go. Okay? So, thank you very much for inviting me. All the very best. Have a wonderful rest of the day. And uh, God bless you.
0: Thank you for tuning in today. See you in the next episode until then stay
1: motivated believe in yourself and keep listening to next cast